Welcome, everyone, to the Sight Shift Podcast. Glad you're here. Not only do I have one guest today, I have two guests, two friends. One you'll be familiar with, one you're going to meet new. So welcome, everyone. First and foremost, our special guest today, Damon Pistolka from Exit Your Way, an M&A advisory consulting firm. Uh, Damon, glad to have you on the podcast today, and we are ready to learn about exits. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. And second guest, you guys have uh, heard him on the show before, my friend and partner, James Royce. James in the house. Glad to have you here today, buddy. Thank you, my man. Awesome, awesome. awesome. Well, we we know that for those that are out there trying to build something of significance, build a company, they're trying to grow it, they're trying to develop it. At some point, an exit is going to occur. So, Damon, how many leaders have you interacted with that kick that can down the road, failing to face the invincibility or the inevitability of that? Yeah, that is, that is, it is inevitable. hundred percent of us will exit whether we want to realize it or not, or deal with it. But that the vast majority, the vast majority don't, they plan or don't plan uh, until, you know, it's imminent right upon them and uh, they suffer the consequences. What so. makes it imminent when they, when they fail to address this, what brings that imminence about? There's honestly, there's two things in, in, and I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. We don't work with a lot of people that are at the end of their, their career like, yeah. that are in their sixties plus and um, 65 ish. Like you'd think of a retirement age person and they sell their business. We honestly don't work with that many people that are in retirement age. Cause we're usually going to be building, building their business uh, to a much larger status. But the, the typical people that, that are, are going to do that when they get, frustrated with their business, they are burnt out from their business, or they come to a, to the end of the line where they say, my, you know, my wife doesn't want me involved in this business anymore, or my kids don't want me involved in the business and grandkids, all these other life pressures uh, become more important than their businesses. And then they just go, okay, I want to sell it. Like, I'm going to be able to put a for sale sign on the side of my, you know, my car and and sell it down the corner. And it just doesn't work that way. Mm. Learned the hard way sitting with a leader years ago uh, where he had just waited like that too late, too late. Mm -hmm. James, I'm sure you've seen some of these stories where they're overnight wanting to turn on something in sales that should just start tomorrow. Yeah. Well, I think, um, yeah, you know, people think about exiting, they think about, okay, what's the value of the biz? And I I think you you tell me, Damon, but I think a lot of the folks that I've talked to, um, business owners, they're bombarded by people calling them, asking them, hey, have you thought about selling your business? So there's there's a feeling that they have that just the fact that there's so much interest makes them feel good about themselves and what they've built. And that makes them feel like it should be an easy trans- transaction. Like maybe it's worth some money, even though there's probably things that have to be improved. So I wonder if that, if if that kind of focus on, on, you know, the focus on searching for um, sellable businesses has gotten to the point where it's kind of lulling owners and founders into that false sense of security. That is a great point. 
And you probably hit on one of the biggest things that we even, even with our clients, right? Our clients understand what we're doing. Our clients understand we're building value moving forward, but they get, they, I get emails forwarded to me almost every day from our clients going, here's another company that says they want to buy us. Here's another company that says they want to buy us. Well, if you look into that and you follow that through, take, take one of those. If, if a business owner out there now is getting contacted by one of these people, follow through on it. See, respond and see what happens. Because if it's an investment group that is looking for add-on acquisitions or something like that, or a, a platform company, if it's large enough, that's just the initial piece. Mm-hmm. They've just reached out to you and said, hey, we might be interested in your company. Well, I might be interested in pick, put something in there, but that doesn't mean I'm going to go off and buy it. And when it's the an investment group putting money into a business, you have a series of structured things that you're going to have to go through to get any money out of your company. And that's where everybody falls down right. or a lot of them fall down. It's it, we sold our house uh, six or seven months ago and yeah, it was like all of these text messages, want to buy your house, want to buy your house. Yeah. And of course I knew the industry. So I'm like, yeah, they want some super low ball cash offer after you've hit five qualifications. Um, and in, especially in younger companies, I've seen this reality where they think the sacrifice they've made is equal to the worth of the company. Like it's gotta be worth more. I've sacrificed so much. How do you start adjusting people's perception to reality of what their business is really worth at the beginning of this process? Every business owner thinks their business is worth more than it probably is. That just you start from that perspective. I know your sacrifice makes it internally to you feel like it's worth, but you have to look from the buyer's perspective. And that's where we always start. A buyer, I don't care if I'm buying a business worth $10 or $100 million or a billion dollars. I have to look at return on my investment. It doesn't matter if it's even a unicorn company I'm going to pay crazy value for. I have to believe that I'm going to get the kind of return that's going to allow me to pay back my investment I'm making today and make me more value well into the future. Mm-hmm. And that's really where we start going. And we, you know, on a on a more traditional business, you know, unicorn companies, we'll just leave those at, but a more traditional business that's that's running, it's math. It really is. It's it's what what kind of EBITDA are you generating today? What are current mar- multi- market multiples for your kind of company? You're going to fall in there pretty close on on a just straight up value standpoint. Now, if you can get that value is based on all the other stuff we'll talk about today. But that's that's what we really start with is the buyer's perspective because there's, there's funding re- requirements in this, right? Banks will do so much. Your equity investors will only do so much. You, you got to work. You got to work through all this to make sure that I can pay a return on my investment. It's really interesting, uh, Damon, because when we talk about, um, when we think about sales and we think about just the nature of human interaction in business or in a deal, uh, emotion plays a lot, plays, plays a big part in normal buying circumstances. But it's, it sounds like what you're saying in the context of these um, these transactions, uh, there's enough time and there are enough sober players involved where we are going to get down to some kind of rational conversation. And it's going to be money-based. And it's really going to come down to 
expectations for what type of return both parties want. And I guess I can imagine in most cases, success is when both sides end up compromising to some degree, giving a little bit more, getting a little bit less to make that deal happen. Is that a fair way to characterize this? That's a great way to characterize it, James, because there there really has to be flexibility on both sides or you won't get deals done. You can never contemplate all the all the idiosyncrasies and the things that are going to come up and the desires of the buyers, the desire of the seller, and the more flexible they can they can be in really getting to a third alternative, right? Because I might want this and and the buyer may want this. If we take enough time, we can figure it out. If we just say, nope, if I don't get you know, if I want to get the paint right. fence painted white, I'm not selling it. Well, the other one says, well, what if I bought the paint and you painted it yourself and then when I buy it, right? You know, <laughs> there's different ways to do this. And and we just got to be open on it because there is a way to do it if if it's within reason and you're flexible. Mm. Gotcha. Are, are so you Chris, able? Go ahead, James. Hey, Chris, I'm sorry to, to cut in here, but I, I just, just because we're talking about this idea of of buyer expectations, looking at it from the, Damon, as you said, looking at it from the perspective of the, I'm sorry, seller expectations, looking at it from the perspective of the buyer. Chris, I have to go back. I have to bring you into this because from a leadership perspective, right? We talk oftentimes about identity fear and identity uh, and those insecurities that the leader has that surface in times of stress uh, or during times of change. And I wonder how you would guide a leader to think about this when they're embarking on uh, a conversation or a process around exiting, right? And that mm-hmm. whole idea of exit, right? There's the there's the sweet and then there's the sour of that of that conversation. What could what do you think could be going through their mind and how much of it is attached to that sense of identity that comes from the business and the transaction. I mean, it's, it's gotta be a soup of emotion and contradicting feelings that they have to navigate. Yeah. I love that. And it ties back to a word you said a little bit ago, rational, which you were affirming Damon. And it's this idea that it's so hard to be rational when you've made the business, your identity. Um, And so we see this in succession in big, big ways too succession planning because the mom or the dad will say, well, I'll let go, but they never really let go. They let go a little bit Mm -hmm. and step back in and maybe their partner or their spouse is like, did you see how they changed the decor of the building? And then they have to swing back in, you know, all of these things because they haven't really adopted the mindset of an exit. And they haven't said, I can imagine who I am post this business. Um, and so what a block that identity, the language we use that identity fear is because that business gave them something that's so valuable to who they are that finding it beyond it is so difficult. Um, I see you lighten up at that, Damon. I don't know if you want to make a comment and then I can talk about the approach. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, it is so important. It's one of the things that we always, we always ask the, the 
people that are selling a business to really understand is what are you going to do after this? Because this business is only going to be with you for so long. What are you doing after this? What are your goals and aspirations? You know, what, you know, what's beyond this for you? Because that identity fear, that will stop them from signing on the dotted line when they know it is the best deal they are ever going to get in their life. And they're going to have so much money that they're, they're three generations from now are going to be benefiting from this and they will not sign just because of that identity fear that you talked about. And it's something that we run into often. And sometimes we, we definitely have to have people seek outside help for that because it is a big deal. Yeah. Well, they've, they've built so much of their approach to solving problems by oftentimes ramping up intensity and energy. And so they've got a mindset that's broken and identity fused to this business. And then they've got an approach that got them here, but it won't get them there to the exit, which is you got to relax with it. There's a longer time frame. You're going to have to cooperate with the fence changing from you wanting to just get it white versus getting the paint bought. Um, and, and the interplay of these, their identity, their mindset, and the skill of how they're using their wiring to build that business. We've seen it numerous times derail massive transitions because again, I've the psychological term, I've foreclosed identity foreclosure. I've foreclosed on a future that I can't imagine. That's mm -hmm. why it's so powerful. If you can put a story in front of them mm -hmm. and they can imagine it being a certain way, you know, so I'd be curious, Damon, how do you put a story in front of them to capture their imagination? Or do you give them a kind of a time frame to help them settle in for the actual time it's going to take? Both, mm. both, because you have to give them time frame, right? And unless we really, it's, it's, we like to give somebody two to three years at least. And we say, you need to start thinking about what your life is going to be like after this. What's your philanthropic? What do you want your business legacy to look like? And we, and we talk honestly, it's like, even if you could stay in here as long as you want, you're going to exit. You're going to leave. So let's make it more like a, a for lack of a better term, a wild ass party and have a lot of fun when we go out rather than we take you out on a stretcher. Right. Yeah. You don't want to die at your desk. We we use that term a lot. You don't want to die at your desk and think about the philanthropic things you want to do. Think about the family things you want to do. Think about new goals that you don't even know ways, personal development, other things you want to do, because the last thing we would ever want anyone to do is think I'm going to sell this business and I'm going to go play golf for the rest of my life, or I'm going to go do this for you're not going to. That wears often about six months, right? You really have to understand as much as in the intensity you've got in your business right now, you need to figure out what are the next things going that is going to harness that intensity and help you grow personally beyond this identity that you've made in your business into your new identity, which is a business that I've successfully exited, left an awesome legacy that you can be excited about telling people that I did this because now I can do this. And you're even more excited about that. Right. Mm. More compelling than six months of golf and getting bored. <laughs> yep. I love it. James looks like you're thinking. Yeah. Um, 
a bunch of stuff. I think uh, what's interesting to me is, you know, having founded and exited businesses, I think the thing is, and oftentimes I wasn't self-aware. So here I am looking back on that and um, just thinking about my own experience that, you know, initially you're really, really, you're real proud when you can sell something, right? So you're, you're generating revenue and then you're really proud when you're making a profit uh, and driving growth. And then you're really proud. Uh, then you should be really proud when um, you, 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 you take each step in that life cycle, including the exit. It's like if I, the earlier I start thinking about each of those milestones that I use to measure my success, the more likely I'm going to be to not be surprised by the exit and the more prepared I'll be uh, to be thinking about that. Um, and uh, I think this this idea of insecurity, right? This insecurity that I will have as I exit one stage, one milestone and move to the next, that the whatever identity I had attached to where I where I was can be released because now I have something else to look forward to. Um, and so I think in a in a in a in a big way, just this idea of helping to expand an owner's awareness of what they're doing, right? Uh, to take them to bring them out of the most recent milestone and kind of carry them to the next to give them that full life cycle view, uh, I think would be super valuable. Uh, and I know looking back, for me, it would have been because again, for me, it happened when I was younger. And I've always, I always had more things on other mountains to climb, right? I guess the thing you're talking about, Dame, is what is that next mountain going to be? And uh, if that's pulling you in the direction, in the direction of the exit, then I imagine it's going to be a lot easier to, uh, to transition. Whereas for the, for the older folk person that's going to be kind of thinking about retirement, uh, it might seem like the end. It might seem like, you know, something dire or something to not look forward to. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Go ahead, Damon. Yeah, it it really is. And you made a good point. Um, they really have to be looking forward to the next part of their life as much as they are, you know, happy with their business, their identity in the business. And that, when, when you get to that, it's really, it's really rewarding when you see uh, an owner of a business make that. He says, I love it. I'm passionate in my business today. And then you, and you feel that and you go, and I'm really passionate too about what I'm going to do tomorrow. Mm -hmm. We had awesome. this, I'll tell you a story, but we had, we had a business we sold a few years ago. It wasn't that big a business and the owners worked through it. And, and one of the owners, his goal was to go on missions in South Africa. And when he did it, we got some messages after he was, he was out and actually did a couple of video calls with him. He said, I love my business. He said, I loved it. I loved it with all of me. He said, but this is where I really was meant to be. And, you know, when you hear that wow. and you see that, the, and this was not a young person. I don't think he was quite 60 yet, but he just to feel that. And when you can help owners get that sense of I've accomplished something here and I've got so much more yet to do. That's when it's really fun. Yeah, I love it. I I, I want to give you a, a a frame for a time comparison 
because I'd like to hear somebody on the early and the later end. Uh, before I do, I think I should caution our listeners, and visually they'll see this for YouTube, but on the podcast they'll just have to imagine I'm I'm holding just like a, a soda water can. This is how a lot of owners, founders hold their business, right? You got to. It's what it takes. Mm-hmm. And to use your example of when they go to South America, now they're holding something different, bigger, more capacity, more meaning for them. But in the middle, there's nothing in your hands. And that's what's so scary because to set this down is terrifying. If I'm not holding that, what am I holding? So I think some people listening to this are going to be like, hit stop right now. I don't want to think about it. That's far off in the future. I, I hear what you're saying about, you know, where it's too late. What if somebody were to want to start today? Like, what would be the things you would say you start preparing for? If there's an urgency of a few years, is that doable? What do they need to dive into? And if it's far off, what might can they go ahead and be preparing? Okay. If it's closer in, I think what what we usually do is what most business owners don't understand is they may have boxed themselves in and Mm. because you can make in a smaller business, say I've got a $10 million construction business and I'm making million and a half dollars a year, something like that. Net profit taken home, making good money, right? Million and a half dollars, a lot of money, but you can, you can get used to a million and a half dollar lifestyle fairly easily. And you know, a lot of us that doesn't seem right, but you do right? Just trust me, you do. And you go to sell that business. Well, that business is say it's worth five times that seven and a half million, five times the profitability. That's seven and a half million. Now this person, if they're, if they're 55 years old, they're going to say, okay, that's going to carry me for about five to 10 years, depending upon how I do it. They're good. They're going to wonder, if I haven't been good, been thinking about my future, putting other things outside the business, they're going to box themselves in to the point that I have to stay in my business and run it longer to support my lifestyle or I have to change my lifestyle or I have to grow my business a lot so I can sell it for more money. And this is the earlier you can address this, the better, hmm. because if you are in that business and you're used to that million dollar lifestyle, how much portfolio does it mean to you just to keep doing that, right? What's your portfolio really need to look like? Because then I can step back and go, I'm starting my business today and I know I, I, I want to live this kind of lifestyle. And it used to freak me out when I, when I would work with, uh, people that were like this, that owners that were like this, because they would, they would literally, I had a, I had one owner years ago I worked with before I was even in this company. I was working for an investor owner. He said, listen, I know that if I have, can spend a thousand dollars a day, I'll be fine. And that was, that was, and granted, that was a lot of years ago, but he said he had it all figured out. He said, because I know I can travel around the world. I can do this. I can do that. I can have my home. I can do it for a thousand dollars a day. That was his, that was his number. He says, so my portfolio has to be this. Most business owners have not gone through that exercise, right? It's not gone through the exercise of what does my portfolio need to be to generate the money I need to live? And they can box themselves in because the cash flow generation of my my business today is much different than the cash flow 
of the value of my business turned into a into an asset like in the stock market or or other types of investments so they can box themselves in and they really need to compare that so they understand what I truly need to get out of that business before I go and that's long or short it really needs it's a universal i like the visual of that boxing themselves in because mm-hmm. they're they're mindset has transferred to their habits and they're not thinking about that on into the future. I'm curious, uh, James, because I know for you uh, with helping so many organizations align and build their sales team and processes, which is such a leadership function. um, Where have you seen this boxing in occur and as it translates then to overall revenue, because for the guys that want to e- guys and gals that want to exit, it's all about increasing that bottom line. Yeah. And, um, and Damon can talk about this with more detail, but, you know, talk about insecurity, right? So I built this business, I'm making a million and a half a year and it's not enough. Hmm. Like it's not enough to give me the life-changing exit that I deserve. And so, or that I expect, or that my peers would expect, right? A lot of business owners, Damon, right? When they're when they're making a million and a half, it's cool, but compared to their peers, you know, the, uh, their peer might look at them and say, "You've been doing this for twenty years, and you've only got a ten million dollar company. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> like, wait a minute. Compared to everybody else on the planet, I'm doing great, but yeah, among my peers, I may not be. So there's there there. It, it just depends on the pers- perspective. And so when you have a conversation with an executive like that. And they just look at seven and a half mil. It's not going to last them that long. It's not life-changing. They can't do all the things they want to do. Now the choice is, okay, now how do I get that number to be bigger? Um, And generally it means growth, right? And oftentimes someone like me will come in and say, okay, great. How do we... How do we identify your ideal customer profile? You're always buyer persona. How do we think about what products and services you're going to bring to market, who we can sell those to, and how we can scale the business in a profitable way to drive value, right? To really put to work everything you've learned and generate growth. And then for every dollar we create or every dollar of margin we create, what kind of multiple could that be worth in three or five years when you go to sell the business? And so you can really paint that paint that picture. But at first, you have to get over the insecurity of, or that identity of, holy cow, I built a company that really isn't, you know, worth that much. My baby now needs to be improved, right? And oftentimes it's hard for leadership teams or or owners to actually really invest in and be critical of, you know, to look in the mirror and say, "Mm, I thought I was there, but I'm not. They have to now swallow that pill, that bitter pill, and then look at the biz with that, with that, removed or separate of uh, uh, that objective view to be your partner as an outsider, your part, your partner in their growth. That is really tough. And that's, that's where we have to be when we, when we think about helping an organization grow into the valuation that they, that they seek. I, I see yeah. this all the time with like just everyday talking to CEOs, usually from two to a hundred million ish. And um, everybody is like looking at whatever the next leg is because they'll talk about it like, yeah, so-and-so at a party. I think they're 
the 2 million person will be like, I think they're worth like 10 million, you know, the 50 million person will be like, yeah, so-and-so at the party. I think they're like at a hundred million, you know, and it's all benchmarking based on wherever they are. And that person now, um, I can only imagine how hard that is to lead people through this bitter pill to swallow Damon. I don't want to rush past that because part of that bitter pill is this, like you've boxed yourself in this timing that it's going to take. Um, how, how do you really help people adjust that reality? Uh, sometimes it's honestly, they need to beat their head against the wall a few times. <laughs> I mean, honestly, could because, yeah. because this is one of the the hidden things in the, in the, uh, investment banking, business brokerage, I don't care what you sell, the sale of businesses, right? Is you can walk along and somebody will tell you that your business is worth whatever you think it is within reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you sometimes have to go out and try to do it. And you're going to realize that if if someone told you that $7.5 million business was, oh yeah, 12, we can get 12 for it. And then you go out there for a year because you're going to waste about a year screwing around doing something like this. And you're going to realize that, yeah, the offers came in around seven, seven and a half million dollars. We're not getting 12. You just have to go through that reality check because me telling you that it's like, yeah, why, why believe me? Let a right. few people give them offers that are that, that, mm-hmm. that have the money, that are good people. Give them good places. Give them the offers. That really will sink it in. Um, because, you know, as, as my partner Andrew says, he said, we, we, we get to tell people their baby is ugly a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know, believing it's another thing. Yeah. And sometimes you have to have reality set in to do that. Um, and and it comes back again to get in, in that buyer's perspective and if their perspective, one of the questions we always ask is how much would you pay for your company? If you were standing on the street and mm-hmm. going to do this again, would you pay the money that you're expecting for it and take them all the way to the point of you're going to write a check every month for this much money back to someone else for this company right now. Just, just put yourself in that situation. Cause a lot of times they'll go, okay, that same business that was making a million and a half a year, whatever that is, 120, 120 K a month. They'll realize that if I want $12 million for that, I have to pay a hundred thousand dollars a month in, in debt or whatever that is, you know, and then they'll go debt service. And then, and they'll go, wow, that's, that doesn't leave much. You're right. You know, you got to ask them to get them through some of this practical stuff. Yeah. Um, it's math. It's math. Yeah. I, I hate to tell people value is math. Yeah. It's. And, I'm, I, I Go ahead. I want to cut you off. Well, and, and, and then people will talk about, well, my friend sold their company for a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Let's talk about terms on that hundred million dollars. Because what will happen is, and you see this a lot in SaaS companies. I mean, you can find SaaS companies that have. They've got a hundred thousand dollars in profit and they sold for five million dollars, or they got a million dollars in profit and they sold for fifty million dollars. Okay, that's the total price. Fifty million dollars. So that what's that's what the buyer said they're gonna pay. And that on that fifty million dollar one, they might pay you two million dollars down, five million dollars down, and the rest is over the next seven years if you heat eight or hit these milestones, and then you can get fifty million dollars. But it but and everybody always focuses on the fifty. They they don't it, it's like a it's like an NFL contract right mm-hmm. an NFL contract with a player 
Wait, I got a hundred million dollars. Well, if I get hurt next year, I get six. <laughs> you know, that's that's it's kind of the same thing, right? With with some of these unicorn companies, they hear these crazy values. And it's it really comes back again to where we started, is it's math. It, yeah. it really is the value of the company is based on the return it can give the new new buyers. And this is where James touched on growth is where you can unlock a lot of value if you are in there and really doing the right things to drive growth today and well into the future. Mm. I love it. Well, let's start talking about talking about growth because I think uh, for people that are listening to this and that are in this place of having to accept reality, um, they're like, okay, tell me, tell me how to improve it. Now I have to imagine this. You you do have a copy paste standard email template after they tell you, uh, I'm gonna go try someone else that says see you in a year, basically, right? <laughs> You'll yeah. type that email every time. Um, but as as we talk about growth, you said something uh last time we chatted that, you know, just that it comes down to strategy and execution. Um and you were so clear and passionate about that. I loved it. So start walking us through what they can start doing to get ready. I think we've hit on the mindset piece. They've got to start accepting reality, realizing their identity has been built around the business. What comes next? It's it's really, you talk about leadership, right? I know, Chris, you help people with this a lot. They, in, a start, in terms of preparing themselves for the best exit possible, they have to start building leaders within their business well ahead of this because the value of the business beyond the dollars. Yeah. We're going to talk about beyond the dollars is there. The buyer is paying for that leadership team and your team that can execute on the vision of the company and and to generate new growth for the company and all that. So that the more an owner can build their team, to really be able to take that business to the next level, the better off they're going to be. And that, and that, in, that includes that owner being able to take off for a month and do whatever the heck they want to do and check in once in a while and, hey, it's good, come back when you're ready kind of thing. Um, because the more they can do that, the more that business will, the, the more valuable that business will be to the next person. Hmm. I want to I want to put a big exclamation mark there and, and get your comment on this, James, because um, I think this so much ties to this mindset piece. Their identity is tied in the business. So being away is so hard and difficult. And if I let go, then what if something goes wrong? And we're trying to say to leaders all the time, that's great. Now, you know where the system needs to be fixed. Now, you know where there's uh, a misalignment. Um, I, I would be really curious to hear what you've seen with this uh, in your interaction with CEOs, James, and they're trying to control all of the sales process, right? They're not willing to let go and develop and build, build a team like Damon's talking about um, right. similar problem. Yeah. And, you know, I would go back to this idea and this is not all companies, but a lot of companies that um, have owners who are founders lifeblood in the business, growing the business, et cetera. It depends on the milestones they use to, to determine or to classify themselves as a success, right? Hmm. Uh, what we would say is if you're planning to exit, 
You want that leadership team that makes you redundant. You want systems in place that can live beyond you. Um, but a lot of organizations will stop at a definition of success that says, I have the heroes in place who make this happen. And one of the heroes is the founder, right? So, you know, that founder likes to be in the mix. They like to be the primary reason people call, right? They like that the reputation they built in the, in the marketplace. Again, part of that, maybe, maybe it's even part of their identity, but what we have to do now is we have to think about, and I think what the way that I would characterize, and I'd love Damon to correct me if I'm wrong here, but the way I'd characterize what, what he was talking about is this idea that my business might be worth seven and a half million today. I'm taking home a million and a half uh, in terms of in terms of net income. Um, the only way for me to get more out of the business is I have to build the value that my that the buyer would be taking from me, right? That they would be seeing in themselves. So now I have to look at this business like a buyer. And I have to make investments that the buyer would to to generate growth. Now, mm. if I if I try doing that and decide, well, gee whiz, that's going to be hard and I don't have the guts, then maybe I'll be more likely to sell it for 7.5 less than I expect just to get out just to get the hell out. Like the house you have that you don't want to put any more money in because the neighborhood won't support it. Uh, and you're not going to be there long enough to, to, to recoup that investment. But man, what if you looked at the business and say, with, that, with that buyer's eyes and you said, yeah, hire a few more key people here. I know I've made enough mistakes in hiring. I know who not to hire, who to hire. Um, looking at the heroes and saying, look, we're, we're going to replace these heroes or supplement these heroes with systems that will survive them. So the business isn't dependent upon anyone. There is no, there is no critical point of failure that's that is t that somebody has an a, an a seat at the leadership team. And what if I did make those kinds of investments? And then I'm sure with someone like Damon, um, you can you can have those you can have those if then conversations and do the math. Like Damon said, it's all about the math, and figure out over so much time and so much effort. What can I get this business to? So now all of a sudden, the success criteria or the milestones that the, that the founder and the leadership team now are choosing to recognize aren't simply around the mundane, right? The things they've done already, which is sell stuff, make a profit, keep the business going, all this stuff. It's about, ooh, what kind of value can I build here? Can I look at this business like a buyer and generate more value? Uh, we had a, I have a relationship with a guy uh, whose family just sold their family business, dad and two brothers. And he remembers when there were just eight of them trying to figure out how to make money, right? And now, and they sold the business with 160 employees for 65 mil, right? And the time and effort that went into doing that and the luck and the things that had to happen to make that, to make that occur. But these guys, these guys, because there were three partners, because they knew what they were aiming for, they looked at that business when they had eight people like buyers. They purpose built that business for the exit. And now he, upon exit, he's no longer a business owner, but guess what? Now he's an investor, right? And so now he's out there living the dream, Damon, um, investing in other businesses and sharing his expertise. And guess what? What's really interesting is he's looking for a business to invest in so he can go to work 40 hours a week because <laughs> he loved that so much. Uh, so he's had time to think about it. Now he's going to jump back in. 
but it's it's putting that it's looking at the business from a different perspective and deciding i think damon at, at maybe at a younger age that yeah it could be fun to look at this business as something that could that could be worth maybe five or 10 times more. Let's make it happen. And I'm sure, Damon, you could do the math to show someone, here's where you are at eight people. Here's where you could be at 160. Uh, and if you can get there in five years, man, here's what you could do. Yeah, yeah. And you, you hit on a couple of great points there because one of the terms that we like to talk about with our clients is your business is a wealth generating machine. When you look at it, it's not just a place where you're going to get money. That's that's cool. It's going to give you cash to live on today, but it's a wealth generating machine. And you're the people you were talking about, they were thinking about that. They're thinking about their exit. They're thinking about the wealth that's going to generate, that's going to allow us to do what we talked about earlier, the next great thing that I'm going to do. And when you think about that and take that perspective, you really are going, okay, if we go to, we're at eight, if we're at 22 people, this is what our value looks like. When we're at 50 people, this is what our value looks like. And this is where, when we're at 100 people, this is where we, if once we get to 100 people, we're like, hey, then it's time for us to take some money off the table and do what we do, what's next for us. But that is, that is a great perspective is in the way you talked about those friends of yours, those people, you know, it's, it, that's, they did it right. They did it right because most people don't go into it. They go into business because, hey, I'm really good at, you know, building software. So I'm going to build a software company. And the next thing you know, they're they're making money. They're making a good living. And they don't really think it, make that switch to go, okay, I'm making a living. Now I'm going to generate wealth. And I'm going to intentionally generate that wealth to mm-hmm. a point that I know that I have enough to do whatever I want after that. That can happen when you're 25. It can happen when you're 55. It can happen when, you know, at any time, really. It's just if you look at it like that and build it like that. And yeah, the math, you can put that math together. And we, we'll we talk about growth in a moment when we go on because that gets me very excited because rapidly growing companies are much more valuable. Hmm. Um, we're, I want to pick up at rapidly growing companies are much more valuable after we hit what I think two audience objections might be right now. One would be this. They don't know my industry, right? I mean, I'm sure you've never heard this, Damon. Well, yeah, but you, you don't know. You don't know my industry. What? What do we? What do you say there? It's still math. <laughs> you can't get away from it. You can't get yeah. away from it. That's it's awesome. like physics, right? We can't. We we come back down because of gravity. Investors are people are only going to pay so much money for your business. That's the way it is. I love it. I love it. Cause I know, I mean, I hear this from people. It's like, well, oh, yeah. this meant my industry and you don't know. And I need to explain this for a lot longer. And in our world, it's like, yeah, but your leadership team is still not where they need to be. Like I hear all of your objections. I know they're hard to attract into that industry, but it's possible. It's doable. We see people do it every day and, and yeah, accepting that reality. So hey, if Chris, somebody, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, before you go on to your second point though, is that, is it a good, is a yeah, good place yeah. There? No, I'll remember. Okay. I'll, so I so um, I have this saying, and I don't know if it's true. I want to test it on you and then let Damon respond. But I have, you know, just over you know 30 years of working with organizations, um, I have this perspective, you know, that an organization is never going to outperform 
you know, the weaknesses of its leadership team, right? Or the limits of its leadership team. Now, um, you know, we can, again, Damon, to your point, like there's all this popular press and this, you know, there's these stories around these goofballs who make billions or whatever. And it's like, and, and people think, well, could it happen to me? Um, and I just wonder, Chris, you know, if a, if a CEO is looking at his or her team and has questions about their ability to get me to the next level, uh, to get them to the next level, and they're and with this leadership team, they're no longer investors. No, I'm not going to be an investor in this business. In other words, try to try create growth with this crew, right? So yeah. that I either can sell it or I can, I can grow the business. Is it fair to say that in your experience that, yeah, it's true. A company isn't going to get lucky. They're not going to find someone who can't do math and who can't, and who, who can't see what's going on uh, to overpay for the business that you, that you've built without upgrading that leadership team. Beautifully stated. Yeah. I mean, I, I figured out a hard lesson to work with a leadership team before we work with the CEO, founder, owner. And I know who the CEO, founder, owner is if I if I never work with them by meeting their team or if we never work with them because that's who they are. I mean, you can appreciate it at a cultural level. If, if it's your company and you've been in existence for three to five years or you've taken it over, anything that you're not happy with, the culture or the leadership, that finger is pointed right back at you in the mirror all day long. And um, – and, and this is so hard to accept. And, and I think culture is an easier way for some people to make it palatable. But but what you're talking about, James, or what you're talking about, Damon, this idea of not beginning a business with intentionality, um, that's a cultural issue. And not thinking through how we're developing the team. Now, most of the people we work with are really values-based people, and they love their people, and they want to give them a chance to grow. But there's also a hard line to accept that says, I'll, I'm going to give them a chance to grow. Some of them aren't going to make that cut. And um, you can let your heart in an immature way completely keep you boxed in because you're trying to rescue a team that can't lead the business well. Or you could be a jerk and totally slash and burn and – and that has its own problems too, because then there's a reverberating waves that go out into the small business world. I don't mean just small businesses. I mean, the world is just small. And, and now who wants to come work for this assassin, you know? So how do you, how do you walk in that middle? And it's possible, but it starts with everything we're talking about, the transformation of the leader. Um, yeah, Damon, you're nodding. So you've, you've seen this. Well, I think James, you said one thing that just really hit me. It's if the owner is no longer an investor in their team and growth, mm. it's it's huge because I I just realized that's what we see every day are people that are 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 sitting there they're no longer investing in their team they're no longer mm. investing in growth of the company, and that's like putting a death nail in the coffin of the business, and it it just putting that last nail in the coffin because. You really have to be doing this because buyers spot that. And 
when a, a your business can be making a lot of money, you still can't sell it all day, every day. And it can be even the, the leader is not um, not that involved in it. The owner's not that involved in it. It's, you know, got reasonable sales. It's got other things. But then we haven't talked about this, but buyers look at downside. They always look at downside. What happens if the economy goes to heck? What happens if the two or three largest customers leave us? And this is where being investors in their team and invest. So you got a really strong team, as you were talking, Chris, working with them and, and, and really getting the right people on without slashing and burning and doing those things. And as, as James said, investing in growth and in those teams, buyers will see that and they'll see that investment. They'll see that you're still in that business. You're still investing in that team. You're investing in the things that's going to grow not only today, but far into the future. And when buyers can sense that, and you, James, you've been in enough of these business, you can feel when the when the 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 flywheel starts turning, correct? In the sales, and you can feel it. it's not just today, yeah, but you can feel it. Yeah, and you've got that momentum. You've got something predictable, repeatable. You've hit that magic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And so you get so. You really hit on this. When the owners are no longer investors in that team, it's a real detriment to trying to sell their business at all, or at least without going to a serious discount on the value. But when they've invested in that and really put the time into investing growth, we begin to look at not only is my business that we were talking about worth seven and a half million now, but if it's got a solid leadership team and it's got solid growth, not only today, but you can articulate it well into the future. Well, now we're talking about premiums and that's where things get really exciting. Mm. Which is this idea of fast growing companies yes. that you're talking about. Well, I've got one other question that I'm going to hold for later for maybe people that aren't in that spot. So let's jump into premiums. And uh, fast-growing companies. Why does that get so exciting? Primarily, again, it comes back to math and risk. Yeah. Buyers are all looking at risk, right? They're all looking at risk. If the economy goes to heck, what happens? If I lose a team member, if I lose, if I lose a customer, if there's a shift and a digital shift changes something in my industry. Well, if I'm growing at, say, I'm growing at 40 percent, and that's that's aggressive growth, but it's it's not insane growth. But if I'm growing at 40% and I've done it for several years and I go, I, this is what we're used to. We know where we're going for the next few years. Well, now that buyer looks at it and they say, your biggest customer is 15%. If you lost that biggest customer tomorrow, you're making it up in the next 12 months. If you, if, if you lost 20% of your business to digital transformation, I still have made that up and I lost that customer. I'm still still ahead in the end of 12 months mm. if i've got good growth they're all looking and, and trying to because you can show a buyer your projections all day long and they're going to say oh that's nice and they're going to go back and they're going to do their own right and they're there's going to be far more conservative than yours they're going to be take all these things into account that you never even considered because you've been in that business a long time and they haven't and that's where growth is a key, key, key to being able to move into the realm of buying or getting premium pricing for, for your business. And we've seen it go 25, 30%. You know, when you're talking about a $10 million business, the math is pretty simple. 
it's millions. And that's where investing in growth, and, and that's why it hit me so hard, James, when you were saying this, investing in this growth, investing in getting this team and everything set up right and the leadership, like you said, Chris, to really be humming and, and, and get this business going is so important in this exit because the buyers feel it. They feel that you're investing. They feel that you're good. And as an owner that I'm selling this company, and this is this, I mean, literally this happened to the last one we did where this happened. It is he's like, well, you can buy it today, or you can wait and come back in six months and pay me a lot more money. Because the other thing is value is on a 12 month, most of the value is on a 12 month rolling EBITDA. Right, right, right. So if I'm adding dollars to that that number every month the value keeps ratcheting it up and right. owners are happy because they can they, and that puts you it's just just so much more empowering to to work with someone that's selling a business that is hey we put the things in place the growth is going and now we can really look for the best buyer and the one that's going to going to give us what we really deserve for it and it sounds like, Damon, what you're talking about, too, is we've made this transition where now we're talking about where is the control, right? When we first started, we were talking about that business that was subject to the market, right? Now you're talking about accelerating revenue and multiplying value. When you can do that, now now the table's turned. Now the control is in your seat. And yeah, if you if if that fear, I can sell it, I you can buy it in six months for a lot more, or you know, you can get into a situation, I assume, that people are willing to pay maybe a little bit more to take it down, take the deal down now because they know it's coming and because they also want to lock out anybody else who might be bidding for your business. So if it's if you've got that accelerating growth you're probably in a better position to get the premium, right? That you wanted when they first, when I first called you. <laughs> Man, this right? is, I feel like if I put a, a a byline to the episode, it would be this. I don't know what the question is, but the answer is it's math. <laughs> it's like, what? Should I, as the CEO, founder, owner, go through transformation and explore an identity beyond owning this business? It's math. Should I invest in my team? It's math. You know, if you believe in math, right? right. Yeah. yeah. If you, if, well, if you believe in math, yeah, James. But Chris, you know that's a really good point. Though, and I come back to Damon on that because I've talked to probably uh, maybe half a dozen folks who call themselves investment bankers or exit planners in some way, some license, some not, Damon, some CFOs, et cetera, just in the last maybe two months. And every one of them has a different way of explaining the value of a business to an owner, right? They have a different process they go through to calculate the value of the business. And, you know, that it comes back to math, but to your point, the point you made earlier, who do you believe, mm-hmm. right? Because if it, if an investment banker wants you to sign a contract to have them represent the, your business, is it possible that they could employ a formula that might overvalue the business and be the, yeah, yeah, just play these kinds of games? I mean, how do you, how do you know whose math to believe? 
I, you know, as simple as I do, I, I go back to how much, how much does it take for you to get a loan for your business today? And I don't care what, what we say. I don't care what the rest of the world says. Figure out if you want your business for $10 million and you know that a bank would loan you that money over, say, five years, seven years, 10 years, whatever you think you can at the interest rate you do. The easiest way to figure a practical value for your business is go, okay, a bank is going to want you to have 1.4 to 1.5 debt service coverage ratio, boom. So you say, if if I need, um, if you're going to sell it for $10 million and say that over 10 years, that's a you know, 80,000 a month. I, I need to have 1.5. I need to have $120,000 a month in free cash flow after any growth capital and everything else to, to pay the, the bank back. Okay. Does my business do that or not? And does that leave enough money? So the investors are, are, you know, you're going to have all the people you hire, you need all that stuff. And don't, don't believe me. Don't believe anybody else. I, I give people the calculations. I say, just, just figure it out because they're going to be closer doing that than a lot of ways. And it allows you to really, as, as the seller of that business to go, is, is James telling me something within reason or not, or is Damon full of it? You know, it, it, they, they have to have some practical means of doing it because you're right. You go to a valuation expert, they're going to tell you about discounted cash flow. They're going to talk to you about future, all this different stuff. And really at the end of the day, it comes down to what, Math again, what will my business support today? That's what the banks are going to look at. And they're going to have to have a a, a, a buffer. And that's what they call it. It's a one and a half, one and four, 1.4, 1.5. It's just that simple. Yeah, I can see I can see some listeners saying, shit, free cash flow. Damn, that's like for a lot of them, it's like the worst calc, it's the worst uh metric that they have uh, you know, that they look at, yeah. right? Because Cash flow actually requires some sophisticated management, and and you can't not be watching it, right? So yeah, yeah, it's a great, yeah. great point. One, well, it's, it's a huge thing. Oh, go ahead, excuse me. No, no, well, no it's a ahead. huge thing in invest in in equipment heavy companies, right? Yeah. You look yeah. at manufacturing, you look at construction, you look at oil field kind of stuff. I can rack up a gazillion dollars in debt really fast. I mean, I, I had a client a few years ago that was an equipment junkie and the dude, no doubt, if he didn't go someplace and spend a half million dollars in equipment every month, just like brand new yellow iron is construction people like, it, it, it was, it was something was wrong, right? Well, you'd go to try to sell that business. You have to pay that debt off because that the, all that equipment is generating that revenue and you don't just get to give that debt to somebody else. So when this is... We haven't talked about this yet, but you got to be managing not only my cash flow today, but how much debt do I have on the books? Because that gets taken away. I have to pay that off with the proceeds from the sale of the business. So in that seven and a half million dollar example, we've come into it before where it's like you're going to net out three because you got four million dollars worth of equipment debt on your books. And and so, Yeah. It's just there's there's a lot of lot of pieces in this that that you can really get because free cash flow that is that is and then you have to add these other things onto it before you get out the door with your net proceeds. It's awesome that you just shared that because I was about to ask this and I think there's room for for one more of these too. Um, 
the cautionary tales, right? You know, what's a ta- what's a story, Damon, for you? And obviously, can't reveal specifics, but you know where it hurt you—the fish that got away. You saw the potential. This person could have been transformed, and they weren't willing to accept reality. They weren't willing to adjust the timeline. Uh, what what stands out there for you? What were their barriers, and what was some of the emotion of the story? I'll tell you the the worst one, and I don't think I don't know. I don't know if I, I this one I won't get over for a while. Mm. Um, we had a client a few years ago, a handful of years ago now. Um, came to us. They were, uh, they were doing okay, and they were at that point worth around just say ten million dollars. We worked with them for a couple of years. And they had at that at the time that the owner had stated, if I'm worth this much, I'm ready to sell. And we we were fortunate and we more than doubled that. Net proceeds doubled it because it was a net proceed number. Wow. And he did not sign the deal to sell the business because I think two things. One, he did not, um, he thought he could get more, even though this is twice what he had originally said, it, what he needed. I mean, it was a generational changing wealth, generational changing wealth. And, uh, and I believe there was some family pressure from a, an out, someone that's kind of a close relative or something may have been feeding that as well, but. Walked away from a, a an eight figure deal and uh, subsequently went through some pretty hard times. Mm-hmm. That that just it sticks with me. It just sticks with me because it's there's a point where, and this is hard for business owners, right? Because he was riding a really nice success wave, and you got to know when it's it's like it's like gambling, right? If you're if you're a professional gamblers, know when it's time to walk away. If I'm up, if I'm up big, you don't play until you're you're out of money. The smart ones walk away when they win big and come back again later, or some other form of that. And that's just what happens to a lot of people is they why would I want to get off now? The ride is going so well. And that's just when you have to get off because that same ride that you're on now is going to attract that next person to come in there. Then pay you that money. Man, I, I feel like there has to be like people listening that are like, that's right where I am right now. Uh, and they're right at that place. So thank you for that story. I uh I'm I'm haunted by some of those where we're so close to them committing to like a multi-year process where we get the leader dialed in, the team dialed in, and the culture dialed in. It's a playbook and it and and you know they're for whatever reason not not right now and then we see what happens you know mm-hmm. uh massive impact of a company is vaporized because the structure the foundation isn't in place so ooh thank you thank you for the sobriety on that um so if somebody's listening to this and they're going i get it i need to get ahead i need to prepare 
we're going to talk to those too that maybe feel like they're behind and need to get on track. What at the highest level can they take away to start preparing with this future in mind? I think it's, it's really, when I'm talking to business owners about this, it's like, what, what do you want in the future? Not for your business, not for your business. Cause that'll, that'll come to come to fruition. What do you want to do? Because we have to figure out what that, what our what's next is. Yeah. When you figure out what your what next what's next is, then I can go, okay, what does that mean in terms of a portfolio, lifestyle, all these kind of things that comes back into how much how much I really need from my business? Because then we begin to build that business that that fulfills that your goals for what's next. Got it. Yeah. So it goes back to this idea of this identity shift that has yeah. to happen. And, you know, well, you work with people like that a lot, Chris. It's like, you know, this is, you got to get to that point to know where you're going. It, it's awesome. Yeah. When they, when they let go, like we were talking about, they embrace that empty middle, that darkness and go, okay, what, what might show up there? Um, for people that are listening to this, that are like, man, I wish Damon would hit on, you know, I'm boxed in, I'm in the ER. I know it's not going to solve overnight. But but where should I apply my efforts and energy to do some triage? Well, this is where I think James comes in because I I spent a lot of time running businesses. And I'll tell you one of the things that I didn't realize soon enough in that period of my life is that if you fix sales, you've <laughs> fixed a lot. It covers a lot of problems, man. Yeah. It takes care of a lot of things because I don't know unless you're sell, unless you're not selling profitably, and I know James doesn't right. do that with people. Right. But if you're selling better than you were yesterday, and you're making the same amount of profit, or or you're profitably selling, work on that. Work on that because that that will cure a lot of problems. Because then you have the ability to fix the other problems. Because if you don't have the revenue to generate the profits, you can't do anything. And Moses down from the mountain. We yeah, can't well, disagree with that, can we, James? <laughs> well, it's it's well, it's well said, and I appreciate it. Um, what's interesting is that um, you know, again, back to this idea of mindset of the leader. Um, there are. I did work with a uh, serial CEO who, uh, I mean, every, I mean, and he would grow businesses to a hundred million in revenue plus, and then move on. And he was in this, his latest hundred million dollar endeavor. They were about 20 when I met them and they were on their way. I mean, just amazing. But his experience, Damon, with growth was real positive, right? <laughs> he, he had some, he, 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 I'm sure he experienced lots of ups and downs, but at the end of the day, he conquered them. And it was like a no-brainer to bring me in to to develop a baseline transformation of the sales team that would help them get to that next level. But there are a lot of founders, I'm sure you've met, that have had bad experiences, right, with sales, especially with bringing people in. For example, construction uh, or other professional services type businesses where a huge amount of domain expertise is required to be effective as a salesperson. A lot of folks feel like they can't go out and find somebody off the street and make them successful. They have to be a 20, 30-year veteran of the business to talk to their prospective clients and really impress them and 
And so so their their experience of growth is limited to what was hard or what didn't work for them a couple of times. And it makes them skeptical that anything's possible. And it may even make them believe they have to sell their business for less than they could because they don't really see or believe that change positive change is possible and that and that that bias or that assumption um causes them to not even try right so a lot of this goes back to even though it's kind of sounds obvious to us guys like revenue fixes a lot of things as long as it's profitable because at the end of the day it's not revenue that drives value on you know like in a SaaS business for example which are not that many of them out there it's profitability and then it's growth uh, and then, of course, a lot of businesses, when they grow, they actually become less profitable, like manufacturing businesses, right? We have a client today who grew so fast and so well over the last seven years because their sales team kept selling their manufactured products at, at a higher and higher premium. Well, is that bad? I mean, get, I'm getting more margin for the product every time I sell it. Every year, I sell the same product. What's the problem? Well, volume in the plant went down, which made the cost of manufacturing go up, which meant profit stayed stable. Oh my goodness. Right. So this, so a lot of these things, a lot of these things can happen. And yes, Damon, I think your point is, is well taken. We can't just assume it's growth. It's got to, it's got to meet certain criteria of the business, but yes, if we can, if we can figure that out, if we understand the levers that have to be pulled, if we know the challenges to avoid, then yes, we can we can get there. It's just a matter of understanding that up front and you know, taking your time, being thoughtful and putting that plan together and then executing like mad. You know, there's there's a great there's a great story that comes or a great saying that comes out of sports, right? Um, don't complain about the accomplishments you missed because, because of the things you were unwilling to do to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Let's let's eliminate that let's dive in and make it happen the worst thing that happens is we we grow and we learn we fix it and we grow some more that's the mentality of an investor i think that comes back to this idea are we working with an owner who thinks like an investor because an investor knows they're not going to win every time they're going to make some mistakes but you know what as long as i win more than i lose and i win bigger and lose smaller over time you know, you know, Vegas has got nothing on you, right? You're going to do fine. Mm-hmm. You're going to do fine. Do you mm-hmm. have the will to make that happen? Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you, Damon. I'm sure that spurs a thought or a comment. And then I want to put you on the hot seat for a speed round. <laughs> yeah. And I think about you, you're, you're right. We run into this a lot where people have thought, well, I tried, I tried this. I tried that. Right. Listen, you you look at everything from losing weight, quitting smoking, whatever. Takes people a lot of tries to find the right method, right? And I think that we have to, as you said, like with an investor, I'm going to make some bad investments. But if you learn and you move forward and you try it again, you will find the right people to help you do what you need to do. And it's 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 no different than if I was if 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 I had a medical problem that I needed, I needed it to get taken care of, right? And I go to the first doctor and the doctor says, I really can't help you. Do I just go home? Say, well, I guess I live with it. 
Mm. Or do I go or do, or do I find another doctor that says, well, I can, here's some things we might be able to do. Oh, okay. Let's try those. It might help me. Might not. But I'm going to go to the third doctor. Person, the third doctor says, let's try this. And it fixes it. I think we have to take that kind of an approach if we're going to grow our business. Because if it's if it's not where we want it to be, what is more important than that? What is more important than that, right? In a business owner's life, and if that is going to generate the wealth for them to do what's next, what is more important to them than getting their business to that point? And and it's based, again, it's off of of profitability, as you said, but that takes growth. And they they should just keep searching. I I, I love that because I have, you know, that's what got them to even get this business going, right? Mm-hmm. They had that tenacity. They had that will. They they thought, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way to figure out this product market fit. I'm going to find a way to find those customers. I'm going to find a way through this downturn in the economy. And if they can just apply, they've done hard things before, that that will, that energy into this next chapter. I'm going to find a way to be able to be gone for a month. I'm going to find a way to get the leadership team up and running um, I had a, we were talking before we hit recording, uh, record going on these long walks over the weekend. And I had had an injury where from a lot of running, I, I literally couldn't walk and everything that I was trying like to get answers, doctor help, whatever. But I tried like 10 things. Finally, I found something that worked. I found the, the cause and the cure. And, you know, yesterday when it started to act up a little bit, I knew exactly what to do on this long walk. So I love that we're capturing that. And that's such a beautiful place, I think, for some of these leaders to be encouraged and go, yeah, because we hear it. It's like, Chris, I've already tried. I I had a CEO and it didn't work out or COO, it didn't work out or, you know, your expectations are too high for my leadership team. And, you know, like, no, no. And, and you said something, um, a couple months ago when we chatted that I, I, I captured, you said at 20 to a hundred million dollars, that company better be able to run itself. Oh yeah. Um, and, and I love that. Like that's the standard um, apply your willpower to it. So you, you're still standing by that comment. Oh yeah. All day. I mean, you won't find an, you're, you're going to be purchased by an investment buyer or somebody that's larger in the same industry and the, you can't be the one that's walks out with all the value in your head or because of you, because they just won't buy it. This yeah. won't, won't happen. I Too risky it. of an investment. Hey, you also said this, and we'll consider this a little bit of the, the speed round. Um, there's only an investor. If there's a five-year investment strategy that is led by non-owners. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so, so go into the PE world, right? They're going to go, if they've got that five to seven year timeline that you're going to hear ad nauseum by, by private equity people. If you don't have a team that can do that in a platform size company, 5 million plus EBITDA and and to go as high as you want, that they have to be able to develop and execute a five-year growth strategy. That's going to meet the return expectations of the new buyers. If they can't not going to be purchased by somebody like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so strong and clear, led by non-owners. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, you also made this comment, how many times you've seen it, that they are structurally and functionally unsound. Mm-hmm. What What does that look like? Tell us more about what that looks like. 
well, functionally unsound, you see that. Yeah. That's often in your world. You know, what I mean, it's just, it's just you've got heroes, as James said, too many heroes. It's mm-hmm. a big thing. Um, and functionally, I think it really comes back to have you invested in the the processes, systems, and and the education of people across it to 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 work smoothly and really mm-hmm. execute on the vision, or you know, execute on on your product, on your service, or whatever at a high level consistently. Beautiful. Yeah. What for those listening would would we have not hit that you think would be helpful for them to to be able to hear and add to the treasure trove of this episode? If you didn't hear it enough, think about your what's next now. Hmm. Understand what that, that is going to be. What's going to be your next thing that's going to be bigger than your business, than your identity in this business? Because it's there for you. It's mm-hmm. there for you. You just have to visualize and put yourself into that point because then you'll have the passion and the persistence to do what you need to do to get your business there. Yes, yes. You'll gravitate towards that strong mental image. James, any thoughts or questions? You know, I have a thought that I, that I would summarize with that this makes you think of something that I think you would say <laughs> if we were asking you the question. So I'll let you expand. But, um, you know, a lot of this, con- a lot of the conversation today has been around the challenges that owners, founders face when, you know, the topic of exit comes up and lots of points of resistance and assumptions that are made and paths that aren't explored because of a belief system that says it's not worth doing it, or maybe we're afraid of what we might find. I think what you would say, Chris, of a leader is that, you know, the insecurities that you might, that might come up for you, um, those moves that you could make that you're talking yourself out of, any of those areas of discomfort aren't things to walk away from. They're things to lean into, right? Because they give you clues as to what the blind spots are. In our world, when we talk about developing revenue engines and driving growth, we're always looking for, we we know we're working with organizations that are successful, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't be where they are. But every organization has blind spots or shadows that are created by someone or a collective group of, of people who are ignoring not not investigating those blind spots uh you know those little reminders in the back of the head they that they kind of ignore or that voice that they ignore uh you know all the challenges that 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 we that we exist in our business most of them are ones that we create the great news about that is because we've created them we can fix them yeah. if we lean in and I think that's one of the greatest uh, messages that can come out of this is that if you do lean in, man, the benefit, the reward can be, as we've said, life-changing. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, whatever whatever would show up for that leader when they kind of fall into their desk chair and they go, when are they going to get it? When am I going to have to keep, when, I, when do I get to stop repeating this? When am I going to stop? coming in and rescuing sale, you know, whatever, whatever that thing is, that's a frustration. 
first and foremost, now you know the gap that needs to close, right? So great job. The problem has shown you what the next step is and what is keeping you from solving that, you know, intelligently, uh, with awareness, with data, because we can measure it. There's insecurity there. And, and that's not to beat you up. It's just like what got you here doesn't get you there. And when you learn to see that insecurity as clear as you can read the, the EBITDA and the PL and everything, when you can read it that clear, you will know exactly what you need to do that is going to help you become the kind of leader that can lead into this exit. For us, it's exit succession or increasing valuation that's going to be able to scale that team and put in place that growth culture. That you step away and you come back and you're like, man, I'm going to leave more often. (laughs) That is a right and fitting thing that you get to experience. Um, And and you risked it. You got here as the leader. You got a business going. Don't fall down on the track halfway and just lay there. Keep going. Keep going. Um, What a a joy this has been today with you guys. It's been a blast. Damon, any closing words? Where can people find you? I'll do the same and, and we'll do the same with you, James. Let you go first. Well, they can they can check us out on our website. It's exityourway.com. Uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn, Damon Postalka. There's only one of me in the world. So if you've <laughs> seen it around, it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, Damon, D-A-M-O-N at exityourway.com. And uh, yeah. There's plenty of schedule links on our website and all that stuff. You can schedule time with me. So it's easy. Awesome. Awesome. Any next steps you would want to point people to James? I think, uh, I think it's been a great conversation. I think hitting you up at uh site shift would be a, a great first yeah. step. Uh, as we've discussed, this is more complex, right? Than just one idea. This is, um, there's going to be a lot of moving parts and just getting started with somebody. Yeah whose voice right resonated with you might be the best next step. Right on. Yeah. I I'm, I'm being more disciplined. Everything we're talking about with systems, Damon, I'm having to live it right now, like getting it away from Chris centric. But uh, so even having like a company email, you know, so if people are here and they're listening and they're like, I'm ready to get my mindset dialed in my team dialed in and, and um, my culture. Yeah. Chris at siteshift.com. And uh, we'll connect and help you, guide you, show you the way, and then hand you the keys. You can do it over and over on your own. Gentlemen, what a treat this has been. I hope each of you have a fantastic rest of your afternoons. And for those listening, glad you were here. Share the episode. Uh, Leave us a comment somewhere on social media. We would love to interact with you. Peace out, everybody. Thank you.